Please turn in your Bibles to this morning's scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, you can find this passage on page 958. Please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, procl you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, as we <clears throat> bow before you now in, in these moments, we have sought to, to bring our worship to you as an offering. But we need to hear from you, Father, by your Holy Spirit. Will you cause him to, to teach us and give us hearts that are open to you, willing to hear, willing to be molded by you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, if uh, you have been in more churches than just our church, and if in visiting other churches or having been a part of uh, another church, you were there long enough to take communion... I know that you can attest to, to this fact that, that churches have different ways of, of doing communion in terms of the logistics of it. For some, you, you will walk down the aisle and come up front and, and take. Others, you like our church, you remain seated and, 
and the elements, the, the bread and the fruit of the vine, are, are brought to you. Uh, I've been in, in a, a rather large church where uh, they take it every week and they have stations throughout the building where you get up and you go when, when you're ready. In some churches, uh, you all take from a common loaf and you, you tear it off. Other churches have uh, fish food uh, type uh, crackers and others, like us, are gluten-free completely. Some churches you will uh, have, have real wine or others unfermented wine like we use and others uh, a mixture of both being served on the same tray. Some have a common cup. And some with that cup will have you take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. That's called intinction. There are a lot of different ways of, uh, of taking the Lord's Supper. And if you go to other parts of the world, they have their own ways of doing it as well. So as we look at this, this passage this morning, as we approach the table, we're not going to deal with just those, those logistics because all of those that I have said to you, in my view, are, are acceptable and can be done in a, in a, a respectful and a worshipful way and, uh, and don't distract from uh, the message of this. But there's another way that it's different in different churches. And that is in some churches, communion is a very, very solemn, quiet service. In other churches, it's a big celebration. And it, it, it is, it's a joyful time. So the question is, which one of those is right? Should it, should it be a, a joyful and even a boisterous time when we take the Lord's Supper? Or should it be a bare memorial and a memorial service which should come across like a memorial service, quiet and reverent? And here's the answer. Yes. That's the answer. Now, from, from an immature, from a, a, a child's perspective, that first question would be how you deal with things. Is it this or is it that? And yet, in the Christian life, it's not, as we see as we grow in Christ, it's not one or the other, but we are called, in essence, to both. 
That goes for worship, that goes for the Christian walk, and I am convinced that it also goes for the Lord's Supper. That while there is uh, that aspect of being uh, solemn and certainly always reverent because of the subject, that always with that, it should be mixed with real joy. So let's take a look at, at this. Uh, uh, the, the, the first thing is that, that joy is mixed with sorrow at the table as we look back. As we look back. We think about his dying as was read in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And by the way, this is where we would differ from some of our Christian brothers and sisters in other churches where we do not see this as just a memorial service. That's absolutely a part of it. We just read that. But that's only part of it. And that's why joy should be mixed in. So the point is not just that, that Jesus died, everyone dies. What things make his death unique? Well, we need to understand that, that when we come to this table, there should be sorrow over our sin that required his death. There absolutely should be sorrow when we consider the meaning of this and, and what caused his death, which is what we are remembering here today. We read in Romans 5, verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, we should grieve over our sin to the point of repentance. But we shouldn't stay in that grief. The understanding of the gospel says you, you don't stay in that grief. You don't do penance. You repent. And there's a difference. Penance would mean that we do things in order to help pay for our sin, to help repay, to, to bring forgiveness toward us. But that's not what the Scripture says. He did it all. That's what we heard this morning. He paid it all. So let's do some theology here. I always like to warn you when we're going to do theology, but we, we usually do theology every week. But, uh, but let's talk about the vicarious substitutionary atonement. Okay, so at the water cooler tomorrow morning, <laughs> ask them what their pastor talked about and, and so on, and then you can drop that on them that... Uh, no, maybe don't. We'd, we'd like them to come visit our church. So uh, vicarious substitutionary atonement. The point is in that, and, and, and I want to just, I want to make it as, as uh, 
graspable as possible because the only reason I share the, the technical word we use in theology is I want you to recognize it. Uh, you know, if, you, if somebody says something about that or you read that somewhere, I don't want you to say, I wonder why we never talk about that. Well, we do. We just don't always put the theological labels on things. But in terms of the vicarious, the substitutionary, we know what that means, atonement. Uh, the point is that we deserve to die and he didn't. That's, that's, the, that's the bottom line of all of it. He willingly laid down his life for his people in our place. Now, why could he do that? Because he didn't deserve to die because he lived a perfect life. See, this is what takes us into the gospel itself. In Isaiah 53, and we often read this when the elements are being passed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here, here uh, uh, we are with our sin. The Lord's laid on him, on Jesus, our iniquity. Now, here's another theological word. We call that imputation. Imputation, and all, all that means is giving of something. In fact, and this is the last theological term, we believe in a double imputation. Now, let me, let me describe that. Our sins are imputed. They are given to Jesus on the cross. He pays for them, gives us forgiveness, but does more than give us forgiveness. We don't even deserve that, but he does even more than that. His righteousness, his perfection is then imputed to us. You get it? So, we give him our sin, we trust in him alone for our, our, our salvation, and he gives his people his righteousness. Do you know what that means? That means that when we are in Christ, from God's perspective, we are as good as Jesus. Should that bring sorrow or joy? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why when we remember his death, we have sorrow that we're the ones that, that caused it. We repent where we are failing and continuing to sin because it's against our new nature, which is righteousness. So we repent of that, but we rejoice that in God's eyes, we stand like Jesus because of what he did on the cross. And there's another aspect of joy, and that is there is joy for us in celebrating the death of sin. 
the death of sin in our life in Romans 6. And we went into real depth into that when we were going through the book of Romans. But even back in 1 Corinthians 11, that's what it means that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes at the supper. We proclaim the fact that death and sin died in the death of Christ. So that in our lives, we are no longer slaves to sin. Because it's dead in our life. That's why in, in, in Romans, Paul says, how, come, how can we keep on sinning when it has died? And he's quite right. And so we rejoice in that. But here's the other way. There is a mixture. And that is that sorrows, and even sorrows in this life, should be put in perspective at the table as we now look forward in joy. So we've looked back, and we have that, that, that mixture of sorrow that we caused his death, rejoicing that his death paid for everything that we have done or will do. But then our sorrows, that what we face in this life, should be put in perspective at the table because now we're looking forward in joy. Let me just read you some scripture that speaks to that. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, it says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. And how vivid is that? I know some of you feel exactly like that this morning. Paul says, we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So he's saying, yeah, we're, we're wasting away, and some of us feel like we're really wasting away, but he said, don't dwell on that. That's what you can see. Dwell on that which we can't see, that we can look forward to. Over in Romans 8, he says something similar in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, he doesn't even, he doesn't even imply that we'll, we'll ever be without sufferings. He, he just says, yeah, we, we have them. We either have had, have them now, or we will. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, that's, that's the looking forward. So we, we come to this table and we say, this reminds us 
that this life is not all there is. Jesus says this in Mark 14. Truly I say to you, I'll not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's the forward that we're looking to. Now let's think about this. For most weddings, uh, at least here in the United States, it's our custom. For most weddings, there is a rehearsal beforehand. We do ours the, uh, usually the day before the wedding. And then, for most rehearsals, after that, there's a rehearsal dinner. And that dinner is usually when uh, people reminisce, uh, they, they think back, they look back. You know, if you've been a, a bride or a groom, you probably had your childhood pictures put up there and your, your mom was crying and your dad was fighting back tears and you're going, oh, oh no, <laughs> I knew this picture would show up someday, you know, that kind of a thing. But, but it's, it's, it's that whole idea of, of thinking back and, and remembering and, and usually nice things are said about the bride and groom and, and that type of thing. And, you know, it's usually a great meal and it's usually a great time that evening. But here's the thing. It's a great time because it's anticipating what is going to take place, usually the next day, and that's the wedding itself. The rehearsal is not meant to be the highlight, but only to prepare for, for the real thing that's coming. And that's what the Lord's Supper is to be for us. we shouldn't expect physically to be nourished here. There is more to this supper than nourishment. You know, it's a, it's a little piece of bread, a tiny cup of juice, and that's not really enough to fill or to quench. This is the appetizer. But we have a great meal to come. How wrong would it be to have a great meal that was all prepared and then to be given a small appetizer and then to say, I think I'll skip the meal. Do you see how wrong that would be? May this supper satiate us, not just for the moment, but to, to give us more of a hunger for the great supper that is to come. It's a great reunion meal 
with the Father, with our brother, Jesus, who will be the host, and with all those who have gone before us, and all of his people from all time. May we rejoice in this meal, but look forward to that great supper. Listen. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that is you. If you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you are invited to that supper and you are blessed. Let's bow together. Lord, will you give us a, a, a godly sorrow over our sin that, that it was our sin that caused you to die. But as we have sorrow over that, will you help us to re, re, rejoice at the death of that sin and the death of death. Will you help us to rejoice that we stand along with you and when we are in you, we are invited to that great supper that is to come. Give us a right and joyful anticipation of that and let us live in light of that, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.